Hello there. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello there, welcome to Spark of Rebellion, the weekly Star Wars show. Coming to you from a galaxy really, really, really close. I am one of your hosts, Mark Asquith, and with me is my main man, Gary Aylett. How you doing, bro? You good? I'm super. As always, my main man, how are you? I am good, thank you, mate. Looking forward to this session. We've got some good news coming up, some interesting discussions to be had, and a very special birthday. And before we dig into that, just... Remember that you can join, you can join the Spark of Rebellion tribe over on Patreon. That's right, although we release a brand new episode every single Saturday, you can get even more. You can get merchandise and swag and stickers. You can get a guest slot here on Spark of Rebellion. You can get the chance to pick our random spotlight a couple of times. You can pick from all sorts of goodies over at patreon.com forward slash Spark of Rebellion. You can be like Regina, you can be like Tom and come and join the Patreon tribe over on Patreon. So please go and check it out. And also check out all of the social channels. Do a search in any of your favorite social channels for Spark of Rebellion, and you are going to find us. And coming up this week, we've got Galaxy's Edge. We've got John Williams. We've got a special birthday. And we're going to talk about the Millennium Falcon in a light that perhaps... We've probably not talked about it in before. That's going to be an interesting random spotlight. But before we get to that, what's been going on, dude? What's what's the week been like for you? What's what's been happening in the world of Mr. Gary? The uh, week's been good for me so far, but um, I'm almost there with my re-read through of the first Thrawn book. Oof, nice. Yeah, I've been a bit slow with the old reading recently. Been busy, but uh, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get through this one so I can get on to Master and Apprentice based mm-hmm. on our review recently. And uh, all the good stuff that you spoke about that. And then I'm on to the next Thrawn book, uh, Alliances. And then I need to pick up, because I started reading Darth Plagueis a year or so ago. And for some reason, the force just wasn't strong with me at the time. I think I only got a third of the way through. And I abandoned it for whatever reason. I can't remember what for. So I need to get back on that train as well. So it's mainly trying to catch up with reading. And trying to get through some some Star Wars books uh, for the past week and for the, the next few weeks. Other than that, just doing a bit of research, research for the show. It's been really cool looking at some of the old Phantom Menace stuff. Yeah, and it was incredible. Like some, we'll t- speak about it later, but some of the critics' reviews and some of the just the whole Star Wars community at that time was in a very interesting place. So it was really cool from. Uh, a nostalgia perspective to go back and revisit a load of the old reviews and thoughts and all that stuff and just how Star Wars came and obliterated pop culture for another however many years after that. So yeah, man, a lot of reading, a lot of looking into things. What about you? You been up to much? Yeah, similar sort of stuff, dude. Kind of been digging into uh, some of the news that we're going to be talking about, in particular some of the the uh, the early cut of the Rise of Skywalker stuff that I know we're going to get into. That's that's really interesting to me. And, of course, the announcements around the new trilogy and where that's going to hit, head to. And I think we can make some we can make some solid guesses on that now that we know who's behind it. So um, similar to you, man, just been digging into that sort of stuff, been, been kind of wrapping up the back end right at the very back end of Master and Apprentice and um, just enjoying that. There's a few twists and turns because I, I know I didn't, uh, I didn't kind of finish the book prior to the part two review i was kind of on the last few pages 
And just what I will say, just to kind of footnote that is, there are a lot of twists and turns that you just think, yeah, all right, okay, this has just become even more interesting. So yeah, I'm looking forward to when you've you've read that. Maybe we'll quickly revisit that on the on the show as well, dude. So that's been my week. It's been a fun one. Um, so we've got some news. We've got we've actually got four interesting bits of news today. I think we'll save kind of the big two for the end. But the first one you'd put down was a really cool bit of PC gaming kit from Razer. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, because I've been looking into this, and dude, it looks cool as a cucumber. It does, doesn't it? It's, uh, you don't normally see decent Star Wars peripherals knocking around. You have the, uh, the odd company that does them in the style of Star Wars or whatever, but they're not really, what's the word? They're not really kosher. Uh, but Razer, the peripheral company that makes uh, all the mice and mechanical keyboards and all that jazz, uh, they're actually putting out an official range of uh, Star Wars merch in the guise of the Stormtrooper uh, design, so the black and white uh, feel and all the rest of it. And they've got three products that they're going to uh, shoot out to people. The first one is the very cool-looking uh, mechanical keyboard, which has got a very it, so the the style of the uh, of each item is the like I said, the Stormtrooper black and white, uh, but the the base of the keyboard is a really nice kind of ice white sort of color. And all the keys are solid black and the, the threaded cables, black and white. It looks really cool. Then they've got this really big, um, sort of widescreen, I suppose, landscape, uh, mouse map, which looks really cool. It's got stormtroopers in there and the black and white design, all the rest of it. And then they've got the wireless mouse as well. So it's the razor. I hope I'm saying this right. The razor, Atheris or Atheris, uh, mouse uh, which has got the stormtrooper um design across the top uh, so that looks really really cool so if you want to kit out your gaming setup or even your work setup at your office or whatever then you can you can get some swag from razor i'm not sure on the uk prices yet but the keyboard will set you back 100 bucks <laughs> the mouse will set you back 60 bucks and the mouse mat will be 35 dollars but it does look sweet it does look sweet. I mean, I can get along with the the, the, the keyboard and the mouse. Like, I'm thinking, oh, all right, with that one, thirty five bucks for the uh, the mouse mat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little steep, but it does look really kick ass, doesn't it? It does. I like the design that they've done. It's they got the big imperial logo in the background, and then a bunch of stormtroopers. I think that's a that looks like a. I've seen that picture before, or that pose before. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm going to slap some nerd points down on the table now. I think that pose is from a Matt Bush poster back for the 20th anniversary of an Empire of the Empire Strikes Back. Wow, I'm pretty sure. If that is true, that is some serious key <laughs> points. Like you're brownie pointed up for the next two years on that one. I think so. Well, I'll take a picture of that Matt Bush poster and send it to you later. I, I'm pretty sure it is. They've taken it, or at least influenced by that, but. Regardless, it looks like some cool stuff. I'm definitely up for the mouse, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, it looks nifty, that. That does look cool. That's kind of like the lowest entry point. Like the, the, the mouse mat is a little expensive, kind of almost maybe, for what it is. And then at the same time, you're like, well, for an extra 25 bucks, I could get this cool-ass mouse. Um, yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, it's a bit superfluous, the mouse mat. But the other two, I'm not sure about mechanical keyboards, though. They're a bit, they're for gamers, aren't they? But not sure for typing on a business stuff, but... Yeah, I'm sold on the mouse, dude. 
Yeah. Good shout, man. Good shout. Yeah, we'll check that out. We'll put that in the show notes, guys. Uh, it's a link to the Razor.com website. So we'll uh, we'll quickly pop that in the show notes for you. No problem at all. Um, what's the next one? The next one is probably actually something that you and I would maybe, maybe <laughs> give a small little finger for. Um, a trip to Galaxy's Edge. It's a package from Virgin Holidays. Where did you find this one? Yeah, so this one, it's, I wouldn't say it flew under the radar, but there wasn't a huge kind of press release or anything that that exploded from this one. But Virgin Holidays, and this is only, uh, to, to tell you up front, this is, the U, this is for UK customers only at the moment. So Virgin Holidays have teamed up with Disney to offer this kind of enhanced package, if you like, for people who want to go to Galaxy's Edge, but they don't want to go and mix with the muggles, so to speak. So you can grab uh, a, a plane from, I'm assuming, Heathrow, possibly Gatwick in the UK, and they'll fly you off to Disney World to the Galaxy's Edge uh, event when it opens. And on top of the normal price that you would pay, because I'm assuming this is going to be fairly pricey, uh, so on top of the, norm, the normal flight that you would pay for, plus your hotel and entry into the park, you also get um, a special uh, Star Wars uh, sort of hotel room and it includes like a bunch of extra food and all that stuff. But probably the best perk that comes with it is you get what's called, and this is very loose, you get private access to the Galaxy's Edge section of the park. Now, this could be that they're going to do it as a, a a week before general admission, so that it's all quiet and it's only for VIPs and other people that have paid some extra bucks for like the private package and so on. But... For, there's been you know when galaxy's edge was first announced and then it was those pictures that was going around everywhere that said because uh, disney put out a promo picture and it had the millennium falcon in the background and then a guy holding his his son or his daughter's hand and it said galaxy's edge all the rest of it and then there was that meme or that image that went around in the top half it said uh, galaxy's edge promo and then in the bottom half it was a, an image of Disney World with like a million people in it. And then it said Galaxy's Edge in reality. So I would say that if you want to avoid the bottom part of that, if you don't want to get, you know, slammed in like lambs into the kebab shop, then this might be worth the money, maybe. But yeah, so I, there's, like I said, there's no real solid details on it, what you get exactly. But the biggest perk that everyone seems to be swarming to is this private access. Uh, you also get dinner with some of the Disney Imagineers, apparently, and they'll take you through some of the details that they might not tell general admission as you're going around the park and so on. But yeah, I agree with you, mate. It's something that maybe we would have a look at. Maybe. I don't know, but what do you reckon? Private access. I think any time you can get private access to anything that is of that caliber you know anything like the marvel side of things the universal side of things the disney park side of things i think anytime you can get private access to something like that it's it's whilst on paper it looks like a total pain in the backside because you've just got to you have got to pay the money for it like they are definitely definitely charging you for that it's worth it when you get there on the ground like we've all been there we've all been to the places whether it's somewhere like disneyland or on the Universal Parks in Orlando or the Marvel places or anything like that, or even just the cinema. You know, you just, it's better, isn't it? If you can, if you've got a little bit 
of uh, of cash in the bank and it's something that you enjoy doing. I, I don't see how it can't be worth it, but I think they've I think they've got to give you that real real access to it, you know, not sort of a um you know, like you sort of get the VIP queues and there's still a massive line. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that the line that you're in is just a bit smaller than the one that everyone else is in. Like that's always a bit of a oh come on. Um but if it if it lives up to the 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 initial oh this could be cool. If that is legitimately what it is, then for the extra five hundred quid it's gonna be worth it. It, it. It's almost impossible for it not to be, because you just get, you're not gonna get you're just not gonna get anything from the park otherwise. And what can you imagine? What an hour per ride to queue to get in line for if without At any least, fast track? Yeah, you, you know you're paying eighty, ninety, hundred bucks a day for four rides. It's crazy. Um, so I don't see how it's I don't see how it's a, it's even an option if you can afford it. Well, this might change your mind. Just found some more details on on this article so it's a one hour private access to the park how much is it do we know yeah <laughs> no there's no no pricing as yet but um, yeah so the just to get like just very quick summary so the fan flight so yeah it's from gatwick from gatwick in london to orlando and apparently it's a it's a dedicated virgin flight that's kind of themed in the style of star wars so what you get with that is unclear whether you get just a goodie bag and a pat on the back, or I don't know if they're going to paint the plane with some livery. I don't know. But you get a themed Star Wars flight, one hour access to explore Galaxy's Edge. And then you get first in line for any of the rides and all that stuff. Uh, you get the immersive dining experience. So you get a themed dinner with character experiences. The Walt Disney Imagineers, like I said, and they give you loads of details about the creation of Galaxy's Edge and all that stuff. Uh, you get a dessert party, apparently, just Star Wars themed. Who doesn't like a party? Uh, then you get accommodation seven nights at the All-Star Movies Resort, uh, the Caribbean Resort, or the Animal Kingdom Lodge, and the seven-day ultimate ticket, ensuring everyone can make the most of the Walt Disney World. Plus, you get a Disney dining plan, private transfer. So you do get quite a lot. The, the, the perk package is pretty sweet. It's just a, the one thing is that one-hour private access. That's not, you know, for Star Wars fans with their cameras, that's like, that's like two minutes that will feel like. Yeah, because you're gonna have to pick your battles, aren't you? It's gonna have to be: do we do the rides? Do we do the pictures? What do we do? Where do we do we take the kids? Do we do we do do we leave the kids? <laughs> you <laughs> got you got some options, haven't you? No, it, it's uh, it's an odd scenario that, and I feel like yeah, that that is going to feel a little bit short Um Having said that, I do like the whole experience. I do like how they're doing that, and you know, making it a, a an empire and a, and a and a Star Wars themed fly. That's not a bad thing, but it's. I can just see it being one of those things. One of those things where, on reflection, you'll look back and think, "Oh, they kind of had our pants down a little bit with that one." But <laughs> the hardcore guys, you know, we're probably going to do it. I mean, you know, we just got to get to the point where we are the UK's number one Star Wars podcast, and we'll just get a press pass. That's the that's the goal, you know. Let's not lie. I'm, su- I'm surprised we haven't got one. Well, I keep calling Bob Iger. Never. He's just rude, isn't he? Sometimes. Just can't believe it. I'm like, Bobby, it's me, Mark, <laughs> again, pick up the phone. I know you're doing all the stuff, but you and Kathleen, you've got to get back to me, baby. <laughs> and uh, they never do. Marky Mark and the G unit, you know exactly, exactly who we are. I spent 450 quid on stamps last week just to get in touch with those guys. 
<laughs> anyway, that's Galaxy's Edge. We we uh, we we will end up there at some point. I'm of hoping course. that there's some kind of convention there that we can write off as uh, you know, if if this becomes the start the Sparker Rebellion limited business, we'll be like, well, we'll write that off as expenses. After all, it's research, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, that will happen. <laughs> yeah, six times you've been there. Do you really need to go there that much? Yeah, well. well, it's that busy that we've got to go. Keep going back. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool, man. No, I'm looking forward to that, though. So Virgin Holidays offers up a Galaxy's Edge package. So we'll again, we'll stick the link in the show notes, guys, for that one. The next piece of news is uh, an interesting one. So this is a, a piece that's been out in all sorts of, I guess, in all sorts of places. But it first came up, I think, on Star Wars News, which was that John Williams has... Not only has he scored 25 minutes of The Rise of Skywalker, but he's also seen an early cut of it, and he, uh, he very much likes what he sees. What do you make of this one, my man? Because this is a, it's a funny one, this. Like, he's not going to come out and diss the film. This is his last time composing a Star Wars movie. Um, you know, obviously, there's, there's a heck of a lot of, of love for John Williams across the entire geekdom anyway for everything that he's ever done. Um, so what do, you, what do you take from this, dude? First of all, I'm really sad because it's his last. And there's, there's, I think he's actually said that, hasn't he? There's, this is his very last. He's not going to do The Mandalorian or any of these other films that have been announced. So pretty sad for that. However, I would say that because nobody really knows if John Williams is a, a, a fan of the films, really. We, we, he's been in tons of interviews where he said that he loves composing for the Star Wars films and, and all that stuff. But I could be wrong, but I don't think he's ever came. He's never said like, "Oh, I'm a real big fan. I watch the films all the time," or you know, because he obviously goes to the premiere or has been to the premieres and has seen them by default. But so the fact that he said that this early cut, he really likes it. You know what he's seen on screen so far that's enabled him to compose some nearly half an hour's worth of, of music and stuff is very, very, very encouraging. So he's he's not the guy to. This is not a spoiler, so he hasn't said anything in terms of detail. So he, but he's not really the guy that's going to comment on whether a Star Wars film is good or bad. Because like I said, it, it, I don't know if he's come out and said that he's a massive Star Wars fan himself. I can't imagine him putting his Star Wars slippers on tonight, getting his Star Wars dressing gown on and, and all that stuff. So, But it's very cool news, though. It, it's great that even at this, what we in now, May, they've got an early cut of the film. and that's enough for him to go on and, and pump some cool music up. So, and months we got left six and a bit, six and mm -hmm. some change. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it really feels like they've allocated tons of time for editing music, visual effects and all that stuff, which is a good thing. So I, I I'm really encouraged by this, mate. I think this is a great, great little nugget of just encouragement. What about you? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it through that lens. If I'm honest with you, dude, I think I was sort of a bit, just a bit nonplussed on it. Sort of, it's you know, it's nice news to get some news, uh, but hadn't really thought about it in that kind of context. You know, he, you're right. He could have remained tight-lipped and not said anything, and there's no need for him to say anything. So, by virtue of saying something, does seem to bode well. And I, I, you know, I, again, I agree with you. I don't think he's a huge fan, um, and I'm not, say, I'm not saying he's not a fan. It's just as you said, I don't. I don't know that we've that we've heard anything from him saying that he's or isn't a fan. So I I do think that's quite interesting the way that you've you've analysed that, and I I would agree with you. I don't think I'd have too much else to add to that other than yeah, I think 
that's a really good way to look at it. Um, I suppose the only other, the only other thing that I guess that I'd echo from what you said was the fact that we are six months out and there's an early enough draft of it at such a stage where he can be composing properly, where the narrative is probably fully intact, and that that I think that is interesting. So I'm, I, I, if you think about all the films that have gone wrong over the last few years, Justice <laughs> League, you know, even look at some of the Marvel films that didn't do so well, Age of Ultron, that sort of stuff. They, they all seem to have been a little bit hampered by like reshoots, and I'm not talking about refilming scenes because it's a positive thing, like they often do. <clears throat> I'm talking about you know pure reshoots, going back and, and changing the narrative. And like you said, the fact that they've got it in such a place right now that they're probably not needing to do so much of that, that does bode well. And it kind of links back into what we talked about in the last episode with Lucas getting involved early on and J.J. Abrams being quite fan servicey. Although it's a huge task to put something like Episode Nine together, you almost wonder if out of all of the three sequel trilogy movies, it might be the easiest one to write. because you're ultimately tying everything together. And you, as long as you are fan-servicing and providing a damn good story, actually, can you go that far wrong? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, encouraging, dude. Really encouraging. Yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, so, well, I'm not sure. I think this is the only thing we'll hear from John Williams. I don't think we'll hear anything else about comments on the film or the music. Maybe right at the end. Maybe. Um, so I think this is a good little nugget to get out of him now. And because uh, he is knocking on a bit now, he did say that. Uh, I think it was the uh, thirty years ago he commented them that he's kind of physically he hasn't got much in the way of energy these days. So I think in his, his composing knowledge and his genius, you know, the way his brain works. I think he said as he knows more now than he did thirty years ago when he was knee deep in all the Star Wars stuff. But he just doesn't have as much physical energy. So yeah, like I said, I'm sad in a way, but yeah, it's it's very encouraging. It is, man. Yeah. Last bit of news then. This is a biggie. This is, is like the big. early seed of what's going to be coming up uh, after the Skywalker saga is done. So it's been confirmed because last episode or the one before we said that there was a lot of rumours around what was going to happen next after the rise of Skywalker and was it going to be the Ryan Johnson trilogy they were going to push or was it going to be uh, the other one, the, um, uh, the Benioff and Wise uh, filmed the Game of Thrones guys, but they have confirmed that it is the uh, Benioff and Wise films that are going to be the next official trilogy films that are going to kick off in 2022. So 2022, 24, and then 2026. So two year gaps between them, uh, which is okay, I suppose. And I have to give that a bit more thought, but uh, these guys versus Ryan Johnson. I, I'm pretty confident that the majority of fandom will be okay with that, but it just it does throw into up in the air. Where does Ryan Johnson's stuff fit in? Is he going to now write another trilogy that's going to slot in between? I think we mentioned that, didn't we? Maybe his films could slot in between those those main ones, or is he going to write now for television, or is he going to write a trilogy that's going to start in 2028? <laughs> Who knows, man? But uh, Game of Thrones has absolutely killed it. So those guys are doing something right. So I don't know, man. What do you reckon? I mean, it's a few years away, but 
It is, but it's not at the same time. If you think about, you know, the scale of a, even one Star Wars movie, never mind a trilogy, you know, they came out and said, you know, we'll start work on this. We're, we're, we're a bit daunted. We're honoured, but we are daunted by the task of having to do this. And we're going to start it the second Game of Thrones has finished, which is this weekend as we're recording it. I think it's May 18th. And it's interesting to me. There's a few things that I get from this. Number one, they're very quickly Disney came out and, 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 and said, this is, this is Weiss and Benioff. It's not Ryan Johnson. Very quickly. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. Now, I don't know whether that's to build upon some of the goodwill that they've generated from Game of Thrones finishing and just ride that crest of the wave, which I completely understand. You would, you would ride that wave and you would take that free publicity. The other thing that that raises for me is, like you said, what's happening to Ryan Johnson? You know, there's... It's, it's assumed that 22, 24, 26, the years in between that will be Avatar. They're the big Disney temples. What is going to happen there? Are we going to get a summer blockbuster? Are we going to get a winter blockbuster in each of those years? And, and are we going to get the, the vice versa as well? So if we get a summer blockbuster, are we going to get a winter blockbuster as well? How are they going to do Star Wars in that gap? Are they going to do Avatar and then a Star Wars year on year? I mean, we just, it's, I just don't know. But to be planning out nine years in advance, so if it would be 2028 when the Ryan Johnson trilogy hit, that just doesn't track for me. You know, no one commits, I don't think, unless it's, unless it's a very extreme and exceptional circumstance. No one commits to that in my view. And another interesting piece of news, which we didn't put in as a separate piece, but I think ties into this maybe, was that Bob Iger kind of teased that maybe there'll be a third TV show landing on oh, yeah. Disney Plus. And he mentioned it's not just going to be the Mandalorian. It's not just going to be the Cassian Andor series. Maybe it's going to be something to do with Ryan Johnson. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. So I think it's interesting the way that they've gone about it, the timing of it, the announcement style, the way that they've kind of not really addressed Ryan Johnson, except last week saying that Ryan Johnson's still working on this trilogy. You know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's either they, they're getting slowly getting rid of Ryan Johnson and binning him off after The Rise of Skywalker and doing it after that so that it looks like, well, look, this is finished. That sequel trilogy did this. It's time for a clean break. Here's a more, here's a more PR-friendly version of Goodbye, Ryan Johnson. Or we just, we just don't have all the facts yet. And that's, that's interesting to me. But another thing that this brings to mind is that, you know, where have, where have Benioff and Weiss been playing? for the last nine, ten years, however long it's been. They've been playing in medieval, old-school-style places, Westeros. And you mentioned last week that you thought that the next trilogy would go back in time, and I think this might this might go somewhere to kind of confirming that, because who better to lead something that is going to look more period-oriented than people who have just led the biggest period-oriented drama ever? on TV. So what do you make of that one? What's your, where, where's your brain at with that? Crikey. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Cause I, I knew, I did think that, or I do think that it would be a good thing to go back in time and do the whole old Republic thing. And if it is going to have a, yeah, a more like the, like the star Wars equivalent of like the dark ages or medieval times, then those guys have lived that for, Crikey, when did Game of Thrones first come out? Was it like 2013, was it? Mm-hmm. I, I reckon about like that. that, yeah. 
Yeah. So those guys have been invested in that style, that 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 period and style for so long. It's uh, and and also they're they're great at creating that uh, that sort of in, in, intermingling map of characters. That makes sense. So they're they're really really good at progressing each character's storyline with an overall narrative, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel confusing. You know, you don't have to turn your brain up. There were a few games of Thrones, Game of Thrones episodes where I did have that, but not many. Where, you, where if you missed like ten minutes, you were like, "Ah, oh, shit! What what happened here?" I'm gonna have to go back and and see what happened. But for the most part, they're really really good at establishing good characters. I mean, they had a lot of help, obviously, because it's based on the book. But in terms of turning that into a TV show, they really gave you that good foundation of each of those characters, and then you were off on that journey with them. And even though there was a lot going on, it was still okay to follow. It was pretty good. So above all else, I'm hoping that they can do that again, but with Star Wars. So establish some really good characters and then give those characters a really good story arc to follow and not feel like, you know, I wish George Lucas was back or I wish JJ was back sort of thing. So yeah, man, it's it's really interesting. And like you, I'm really confused now as to where Ryan Johnson fits into the into the plan, the master plan, because he's obviously done a bunch of work already. So do they just say goodbye to that or do they salvage it somewhere? A bit like they do with the video games, you know? Mm-hmm. The Jedi Fallen Order is like a, that's like a salvage of a, a failed or a cancelled game or studio. So that they can do that. It's not beyond the realms of of uh, of being impossible, but I don't know. It, I don't know when we're going to get facts on that either because I would imagine that the the Disney and the Lucasfilm uh, PR machine is going to start ramping up for the re- the launch of Rise of Skywalker. So they're not going to muddy the waters with, oh, by the way, there's also this other trilogy that's going to come out just to confuse you a bit more before the Skywalker stuff wraps up. So, yeah. And it makes me wonder as well, and this is probably the the little capstone on this, on this bit of news, because you could talk about this forever, but I think there's maybe something in, and this is total just me being a fan, because of the way that this last sequel in the sequel trilogy has to tie together three eras of Star Wars. It's got to tie prequels, it's got to tie the originals and the sequels together, which is basically a, what is that, 60, 75 year span maybe? It makes you wonder that because they're doing that, do they start to use the law around it and the, I guess the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The mythology, because Luke mentioned before how he, you know, this is what happened, Sidious did this, there was hubris on the part of the Jedi. Do they start to seed bits of old Jedi and Sith law that comes from back in the day? Not much, but just a holocron here a word there, an old text there, Palpatine getting the knowledge to return from way back when. Do they just start to get audiences ready for there's some interesting stuff back there? And that I find that curious as well. Indeed. Yeah, loads of stuff. We Yeah, we could do a whole show on this, but it's just a really cool announcement that they've actually put it out there. These guys are doing it. No idea what Ryan Johnson's doing, but we'll... We'll come round to that when when they release it, I suppose. But 
Yeah, some good news this week, buddy. Absolutely, yeah, a good one. And moving on to something else pretty awesome as well. It is the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace. So review and discussion is going to be all about that, my man. Sunday, the 19th of May, 1999, The which is insane, first of all. Can we just talk about how nuts that is? <laughs> but 20 years ago, The Phantom Menace came out. Makes you feel so old, man. 20 years ago. I remember it. You remember the, the marketing campaign where they had little Anakin and, and, and his shadow projected on the wall oh, of yeah. the hut on yeah. Tatooine, and it was obviously the Vader shadow, and you're just like, yes! You know, 20 years later, 22 years after the original Star Wars, and what, 14 years after Jedi, you just think to yourself, yep, all right, we're in for a treat here. Um, so you've been doing some research on this, dude. You've been digging a bit deeper into the archives, into the Jedi archives than I have on this one. Where where was the internet back then? Where was the fandom at? What was the climate? And what how did we how do we respond to this? Yeah, so this was a, I would say one of the so the lead up to the Phantom Menace and the lead up to the Force Awakens, in my opinion, are probably the two most interesting time periods of of Star Wars fandom in general because the world the world had already got used to the fact that. There was there were there were going to be no more Star Wars films after Return of the Jedi, because George Lucas had had answered that question a thousand times in various interviews and discussion everywhere. That's the that's the question he used to get all the time. When are we going to see episodes one to three? And he always said he he just skirted around it and said probably not coming, not going to do it. Blah blah blah. And then when it was announced, because that was that period in between Jedi and and Phantom Menace is known as, affectionately known as the dark times, because there was just a bugger all for Star Wars fans. The most that we had was a series of video games, which were, you had your video game in that period, but you also had, I mean, the extended universe was quite good. You had a, a raft of books and, and that sort of thing, but official something to get your teeth into. Yes, this is actually Lucasfilm. We're going to have new films. It just looked like, because it dragged on for so long, you just felt, it's just not going to happen. And then when it was announced, that was like the bomb that went off. That, that, that fandom at that time, and I remember it really clearly, it was just an amazing time to get your, because the, the, the mainstream Star Wars fandom, it was waning at that point. You had like your hardcore fans that had liked the original trilogy and they were not going anywhere. But your casual fans, fans of science fiction, Fans that were, they liked the original films, but they just maybe drifted away, weren't too concerned about the books and all that. You know, they, they were getting more and more. And and then, yeah, when it was announced, it, it just blew up. It was amazing. In a similar way, when that whole press announcement just dropped out of nowhere, that Disney were buying Lucasfilm, and then they announced the new films at the same time. It was that kind of vibe where everyone just went berserk. New Star Wars films, yeah. And then the internet back then, it was, we joked about it, I think, a couple of episodes ago about news groups. Remember news groups? Mm-hmm. So it was mainly, so things, things like Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing, forget that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a thing back in 1999. It was all about forums and news groups back then. And you had all these closed communities. So you had like the really popular Star Wars fan sites that were around at that time. And they had their own forums built in. And then you had news groups and all that stuff. So you had all these closed communities going on. And then obviously 
um, uh, science fiction conventions weren't as big as they are now. There was the one in San Diego, the big Comic-Con. That was a thing. But then a ton of other conventions, it just weren't, they just weren't as big as they are now. So it really relied on, yes, the internet was there and all that stuff was going on, but it really relied on fans getting together where were you going to go and see the film? Are we going to go to the midnight show in? Are we going to camp out outside? Because that was a thing as well. Across loads of cinemas, there were people camping out outside, dressed, you know, cosplayers everywhere. It was, in a nutshell, it was amazing. It was such a great time and the ramp up and everyone was excited. And then when the film came out, so this was May 19th. So when the film came out, the reviews started to hit, fan st- uh, reviews started to come through. And it really was a, a, a tale of two halves. You had one half of the camp who were just destroying the film. They, they went to town on it big time. So massive complaints around it wasn't linked into the original trilogy enough. It, it felt too disjointed from what we know as Star Wars. It was, there were too many visual effects, Jar Jar Binks, all of this stuff. People just went freaking nuts on it. And then you had the other, well... I'd say you had two thirds of, of the world going, what the hell is this? And then you had a third of fandom that absolutely loved it. They loved it for what it was. The, reintro- you know, the reintroduction of some of the characters that have been spoken about within the original trilogy films. Newer characters that we'd never seen before. Really cool. Qui-Gon Jinn. You know, really cool characters and Padme and all that. Lot. So it was just an amazing time. And the fact that it's 20 years ago, in some respects, it's really fuzzy. It's in, the, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, crikey, I don't remember, you know, some of that stuff. But some of it, I really, I remember so clearly. I remember um, hearing about it. A, a friend of mine said, they're going to make um, some more Star Wars films. I was like, yeah, no, no, no. I don't know where you've heard that, mate. But yeah, and then, you know, there was a, and then it was in the newspapers as well. You don't really see that much these days as well. So national press and stuff, you don't really see that because they rely on the internet these days. So in a similar way to The Force Awakens, it was just a huge ramp up and build up. And, and then shortly after, it got destroyed. Then it, but one thing I have noticed, buddy, and you might, be, you might have noticed this as well. But in the last few years, the, the hate towards the prequels hasn't been as bad as it was over the last, I don't know, 10 years? In the last, just the last four or five years, the, the, there seems to be a, a more an increasing appreciation for the prequels, put it that way. So where, where were you, buddy, when, do you, do you remember the build-up to this, and did, did you go and see it at the cinema? I do, it was, it was a funny one for me, because I was, I was always a Star Wars fan as a kid, but I was never an avid, crazy follower. And the prequels were, much like DC, when we first started Two Shots to the Head back in 2013, when we first put that together, that was all because DC had relaunched what they were doing. And it was a very easy onboarding point to jump on at the New 52. So the, the prequel trilogy for me is pretty much that happening again, or actually happening for the first time, because it was a really good jumping on point. And what interested me, you know me, I'm a real, like, the only thing that I really enjoy about stories in, in a lot of depth is connectivity and mythology and what happened way back when and what happened t- today to affect the things in the future. Like, I really love that. So you're right, you know, for me to see Obi-Wan and then see his master, see Yoda tottering around like an actual, like, you know, an actual being that had capability and not at the end of his life. And then, of course, seeing the posters out there that we talked about just before we dove into the segment around 
you know, Annie becoming Darth Vader, and you're like, oh, crap, that's actually pretty sweet. I actually really like that. Jar Jar Binks, of course, crazy. You know, I think that was a, <laughs> a, a, an odd, odd misstep. As a 17-year-old as a at the time, you know, I was... I wasn't up on whether the dialogue was good or not. I knew things felt a little bit wooden in places. Same with Attack of the Clones. I was like, certain things feel a little bit wooden. But I don't know enough about that to know whether that's just me not understanding whether it should be like that. Like, is he playing for this kind of Shakespearean, just kind of straight-lacedness? I don't know. Um, And I think something happened with the prequels that has happened... I think with a few series, even very recently, which is that as each of the prequels came out, it made the last one better because it connected together. And the, I, I, and I, I think maybe this is where, maybe this is where the softening from the fandom has come into play as the sequels have come out. Actually, now we're starting to see this as just one long story, and there's a reason he called it Episode One and not just The Phantom Menace. There's a reason it's episode two, and not just The Phantom Menace. If you were to judge Game of Thrones based on one episode, the pilot, you'd be like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> but the narrative that is thread throughout them all, I think is, is why we become more appreciative of the, the prequels as, as time progresses. And I also think we see it from a different lens as well. Like Rather than saying, look, there's too much CGI, which in certain places we know there is, now we're fondly looking back and saying, huh, look where CGI was back then. Isn't that cute? <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's got a bit of nostalgic gravity to it because you can see how far things have come now. I even noticed that with the Marvel films. I've been re-watching the Marvel films very recently. Even as recently as 20, not even 2014, even more recently than that. So some of the Ultron stuff, some of Guardians 1 and 2, some of the CGI is terrible compared to Thanos <laughs> in Endgame or Infinity War, like it's just coming on leaps and bounds. Moore's law is just significantly more prevalent in this field. So to look back at the prequels through that lens, you think, Do you know what? Actually, all right, I can get it. I know why they did it because it was just the thing at the time. You know, no one, no one calls out T two for having too much CGI, but it's got a pile of CGI. But it it helps the story along. So I think I think we're just becoming a, a bit more forgiving. Um. And it onboarded me into the Star Wars universe again. It made me think about, rather than seeing the Star Wars original trilogy on TV at Christmas as a kid in individual pieces and seeing them as films and not being able to really dis distinguish between, which is the one where Luke's in black? Which one is that? You know, not being able to distinguish between them. It made me think of them as a story. So, yeah, I get the criticism. I really get the criticism. But if you take away the way that the dialogue is written... I think what the story is trying to say is actually really good. And I think it's really interesting. And I think the persistence of Lucas with the political plot, we talked about this in Queen's Shadow, you know, the, the, the prevalent theme is the whole political plot around it. And that book is very heavy for that. And I think the prequels suffered a very similar fate. But overall, I think it's genius storytelling because it needed the time to let Palpatine become what he becomes. We wouldn't have appreciated the Emperor in Return of the Jedi on a rewatch after watching the four before, the five before it. We wouldn't have appreciated him quite as much had we not seen the way he'd done it all. 
I think it just makes the films better and better and better. So yeah, that 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 was my experience of it. I probably came at it from a slightly different angle. Yeah, I know what you mean about Palps, though. We spoke about him, didn't we, recently, and just that whole journey that he goes on from silent in the background manipulator through to full on, full on lightning fingers. It, over those three films, it's his his journey is really really good to watch. And I suppose the other good thing that the Phantom Menace gave us was Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. They they gave us such a sweet character. It was a shame that he got chopped up at the end, but he does make a return in um, uh, it was it Rebels and the Clone Wars cartoon series. Mm-hmm. So he is back, and and obviously the cameo at the end of Solo. God knows where they were going with that. Where that you know, if there was going to be a Solo too, I'm not sure was he going to be like the main, the main villain i'm not sure but so he's he's popped up again in various guises but he's been really cool and then yeah i I completely agree with you it's one of those he's got a certain charm about it even though the cg is completely over the top in some places and some of it's really good and some of it's terrible but yeah it definitely has a certain charm about it and it did fair it did fairly well at the old box office as well the opening weekend about 65 million so 20 years ago 65 million dollars was obviously nothing compared to infinity war Endgame, that sort of stuff but uh and then i think overall we're talking like 400 million to date uh, across cinemas and stuff so yeah it's one of those it's a very cool milestone it's really good to look back on it and you know i can imagine lots of places lots of cinemas doing re-releases of this over the weekend and plenty of people grabbing the blu-rays and stuff so yeah 20 years of Phantom Menace. It's been a great, it, yeah, it was great looking back on, and then some of the critic reviews as well. It's uh, like the reviews were a lot longer than you would find for a lot of other films coming out of the time. So when you look on a lot of websites that actually did so, Variety website and uh, Mark Commode and something like proper film critics and stuff, the length of their reviews was really long compared to a lot of other films. So it was great to go back and research some of that and, just read through what people were talking about it at the time, because obviously their views at the time are going to be very different or partially different to what they are now based on everything that's happened within star Wars, like the sequel trilogy and, and all that jazz. So 20 years, bud, happy birthday. The Phantom happy Menace. birthday, the Phantom Menace and uh, long live Qui-Gon Jinn. Let's bring more of Qui-Gon back in. I'm up for more he's of that. In the Neverworld. He's, he's in the, he's in the force somewhere, isn't he? He's knocking around. He really There's a blue does. ghost somewhere. He comes back. He's one of those guys that just comes back in everything. And uh, I, I, I loved it when they did that whole journey. And that's, that's again, what I loved about the, the, the prequel trilogy and the way that they did, did the Clone Wars as well. Um, and I can see why when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they just said, look, prequels, original trilogy, Clone Wars are the only thing that matter because those are, they're all hand in hand, pretty much. You know, the Clone Wars TV show is such a vital piece of viewing. Um, that it again it makes it makes everything better you know you get the sons of dathomir you get the night sisters you get everything coming into play and you're like oh okay now the phantom menace is better because darth maul is not just some weird assassin you know he's actually got something about him um so i i, I it, it, it the prequels hold a fond place in my heart for that one because i'm i don't know i'm just probably less <laughs> of a i was less beholden to the original trilogy at that time so happy birthday phantom menace have a drink on us. 
<laughs> have a double whiskey. Hey guys, listen up. Just a quick one before we move into the random spotlight, which this is another one from you as well, mate. You've done all the work this week. I apologize. And uh, it is an interesting one. It's something that I saw dotted around on the internet, but the fact that you put it in here as a random spotlight just uh, it tickled me. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. But if you're listening out there and if you want to be like Regina and Tom, then you can join the Spark of Rebellion tribe over on Patreon. You can get access to some of our swag, our stickers, our mugs. You can become a guest on the show. You can even get some pretty cool executive producer status. And we'll back that up. If anyone asks us, is, is this person a, an exec producer on the show? We'll say yes, of course. So go and check that out, patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion. Uh, so what, my main Gary person, Star Wars friend and fan, is the random spotlight this week. <laughs> the random spotlight uh, is the uh, so the you, the official YouTube channel for Star Wars. I think it's Star Wars Kids actually. They've got this very cool uh, channel that does all these little animated shorts of everything across Star Wars, and they've been doing these uh, this series called Star Wars by the Numbers, and the most recent one that's seems to have got a lot of traction, as you said, is this Millennium Falcon and the number or total number of buttons and switches that have been pushed, flicked, switched, flipped, whatever, uh, across all of the Star Wars movies. And it's a very cool little video, actually. It's one of those, they're not very long. These Star Wars kids, they're only like little two or three minute uh, little animated shorts, as I said. Uh, but it does dive into some of these larger areas now. now. Now that they've done all the key characters in their little animated uh, forms, they're now expanding and you know trying to keep people on board. So the Millennium Falcon uh, across uh, the all of the Star Wars films. So this is, this includes uh, Solo as well. Uh, apparently, the switches have been pressed or depressed uh, three hundred and fifty-five times across X amount of movies. So what's that? Nine, ten, including Solo? No, we haven't had a rise yet. So nine film. No, yeah, it's nine. Ten, including Solo. What's my, my maths is, is off here. <laughs> One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight. Nine, including Solo so far. 355 presses of all the switches. Now, apparently, uh, the film that has the most amount of presses is the... Uh, is Solo, which has over 90 presses of all the switches and stuff. Uh, the Force Awakens, um, uh, no, sorry, The Empire Strikes Back, sorry. The Empire Strikes Back uh, has got just over 100 presses. Solo's just got over 90, and then The Force Awakens comes up in third place with over 80 presses. So in terms of a random subject for our random spotlight. This is perfect because who, and the thing is that it's, that's crazy. And uh, well, it's crazy and awesome in, in both respects. They would have had to have hired somebody to watch all of the films to count every time somebody presses. Now that's not, that's, it's crazy in a way. Cause you think you, you want me to do this. Are you being serious? We don't have this in a list somewhere. Um, but okay, you're going to pay me to watch star Wars and count that stuff. Then, then great man, I'll do it. So I didn't think it was that much. When, I'm, when you first um, popped this on here, I thought, let me just rack my brains quickly. There's this scene and this scene. I don't remember pressing that many buttons and pushing switches, but yeah, maybe my memory isn't as switched on for button presses as, as somebody else. So 
Did you think it was this high? I didn't think it was that high. No, I didn't actually. I, I'm of the same mind as you. I'm trying to think back through them all. Like, wait a second, the Force Awakens, they don't press it that many times. Um, but that was my instant thought as well, was like, you can imagine that conversation, can't you? Like Monday morning, like, right team, what have we got on this week? Well, I'm going to be working on the new trilogy with Benioff and Weiss. Yeah, 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 that's going to be good. Oh, sweet. Okay, so you're working on Galaxy's Edge. You're going to you work on that sort of stuff. Right, Dennis, job for you. Um, you know the Millennium Falcon? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is getting exciting. Well, little job. I want you to go home and I want you to count up all the times the switches were... Pr- You'd be out, wouldn't you? You'd be gone. <laughs> You'd just be like, oh, you can't. But no, I can't. I've got a dentist that day, actually. I can't. I'm busy. I mean, what a, what a job for someone to go ahead and do that. And imagine as well, you do that thing where you're like, Did, was that a press? I better go back and watch that. So they'd not watched it. No one has gone through the films once and counted up everything. They're like, I better just double check that. Because it's Kathleen. Is she checking this? You know, it's, uh, it's a weird old job, isn't it? But that's, that's the lens that you go to as a content producer, I guess. That's stuff you have to do. And there's some interesting little byproducts as well. So you mentioned like watching the scene, like was that a button press or not? So one, one example that springs to mind is in A New Hope where they're, they're being drawn in, I think. It's the scene where they're being drawn in by the Death Star's tractor beam. And I think Luke goes to press something and he's like, what's that flashing there? And Han smashes his hand. He's like, don't, you know, he gets the hump, like don't touch anything. So did Luke actually touch that before he got his hand slapped away? Or, you know, there's lots of debate as to what is a press. And also, what's a press? Is it the same thing as a depress? Is it the same thing as pulling or pushing one of those levers? You know, you've got those levers at the front. And, that you know, when they, they invoke the hyperdrive, you know, you push the lever forward. Is, th- is that same thing as a press? I don't know, man. It's an interaction of some kind, but just my UX hat on now, is it a, I don't know, but I'm not sure I would have done it. Would you have done this in one sitting? Would you have smashed through all nine films in one go? No chance. I don't think you could even do that if you just wanted to watch them. Um, you would, you would literally have, it would have been a week's worth of work, wouldn't it? Someone got a commission <laughs> for this like at Christmas. Um, but although the title does say how many switches are switched, so maybe it, it literally is a the switches and oh, you know so yeah. but then what constitutes a switch we're down the bloody rabbit hole here aren't we you know is a button a button or is a button a switch i don't know let him let han do his thing he knows his ship it's not for us to say don't get cocky and that's the <laughs> thing so when the lever goes forward is that half a switch does it have to come back to its original position to count as a switch well you never say half switch the light on gas yeah, yeah. I think we're, yeah, I'm just being a bit of a knob about it now, but yeah, about 350. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, I can't believe that we've even just, in, in all my time, I never thought that question would be asked of me. <laughs> no, let it not be said that we don't go into the details on Star Wars. Yeah, we not do. We, we go where other people are unwilling to go. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a tagline from another, another show. Um, you're boldly going where no one wants to go. Is this a switch or is this a switch? <laughs> also, did they? Uh, they could also factor in the books as well. There's a there's a few books where there's a book called uh, the Many Smug- Switches uh, of Han Solo. The Ma- <laughs> there's a film, isn't there, called Scoundrels? I think it is, or Smugglers, or something. Smugglers the, Run. Is it Smugglers Run? Yeah, 
So a- any story where there's a lot of stuff happening on the Falcon, there could potentially be many more button presses happening there. So this is just a very finger up in the air amount in terms of the the overall universe. This is just the films. And if you're listening, the person that researched that, <laughs> don't take that the wrong way, because we know you've put a lot of work into this. Please don't take that at face value. We appreciate all your counting. We, we truly do. Um, that was a good one. That I didn't. I, so I put this, the way we work, guys and I, the way we work is we've got a Trello board. So when we're researching stuff, um, we'll be like maybe on our iPad or on our phone, just reading up on news and Star Wars news will pop up and we'll read it. And then we fire it up to an ideas board on Trello. And then I didn't know today what had made the cut from the ideas board into this episode. So when I scrolled down and saw a random spotlight, I was like, oh, okay, we're going there. Okay, this is going to be it. And this conversation has not disappointed me at all. (laughs) That's what the random spotlight is. That's its purpose. Exactly. And that's why it's called just that. All right, guys, let's stick a pin in it. Um, we've, we've gone on, on again for just under an hour there. We're, we're doing well with these sessions. I'm loving this. Um, I reckon we could easily go on for like two hours and not even bat an eyelid, dude. Of course. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Easy, easy, easy. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back every single Saturday. This will drop as normal on Saturday at midday UK time. So wherever wherever you are, you will hopefully wake up to this if you're in the States in your podcast app. It's available for free. Sparker Rebellion is completely for free. But if you do want to support the show, head to patreon.com forward slash Sparker Rebellion where you can get your hands on some fantastic swag. You can become an exec producer on the show. You can guest on the show. You can even come up with your own random spotlight as well and record a little segment for that. And if you so wish, you can also leave a rating and a review. Now, you might think that that's that's a bit of a nothing thing, but it really matters. It helps other people discover the show. And if someone's coming across Sparker Rebellion for the first time, it does help them to understand whether or not this show is going to be for them. So big thank you to Amy Woods. We got our first review in the UK Apple Podcast Store this week. Amy Woods, thank you so much. Uh, And if you do feel like doing so, just take 30 seconds, fire up your podcast app, hit the rate and review button, and literally take 30 seconds to do just that. Um, So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Gary, thank you. Always a pleasure, my man. Yep, it's been awesome as always. Absolutely love it. I say this every week, but it's true. I absolutely love just sitting down and and chatting Star Wars with you, mate. It's it's amazing. So uh, yeah, as Mark said, get involved, get over to Patreon, follow us. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So just do a search for Spark of Rebellion. Give us a follow over on there. We will see you next week for episode seven. And until then, may the force be with you always.